right, all right, all right. I don't know why I just did the Matthew McConaughey thing right there, but we'll just go with it. Welcome to K-First. Uh, if, if it's your first time with us, I just want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. My name is Dave. I'm the pastor here, and I just I celebrate that I get to have this time to uh, break open the word with you, to talk through the book of Colossians, which is going to be our assignment for the next eight weeks or so. This will literally take us right up to Christmas. Christmas is that close. So, by and saying that, I will tell you, you're still not allowed legally to play Christmas music until post-Thanksgiving. That's how you divide a church when you start preaching. <laughs> um, if you have not picked up one of these, we've got these on the, uh, most of the back tables. Um, we've just got a handful of these out there. Every week what we're going to do is we're going to put these out there. This, this will fit right into your scripture journal or fit into your Bible. And what it is, it, this is just for week one of a daily reading for the book of Colossians. I'm just going to tell you, you could read the whole book of Colossians in 15 to 20 minutes. Sitting down, you can read it through in 15 to 20 minutes. This is a way to slowly digest it, things to contemplate. Uh, we do have bookmarks uh, available back there, which uh, Pastor Kevin has written what we call the Colossians Confession. And uh, we just wanted to really do this deep dive. We've been doing this now four years in a row. Every fall, we've attacked a different, what's called the prison, prison epistles. We started off with Galatians, then we did Ephesians, then last year Philippians, and this year Colossians. Uh, wrapping up the prison epistles, what are we going to do next year? I've, I've only gotten as far as Easter for my, uh, my sermon series, so I have not planned on the fall. Uh, my wife says I can't plan that far in advance. That's rushing things too much. Uh, but we're in a series that I have called RSVP. What does RSVP stand for? I'm glad you've asked me that. It's, it stands for Respondez s'il vous plaît, which is French for please respond. And I think most of us have gotten an RSVP for something. Um, I hear about RSVPs a lot because I do a lot of weddings. I, my best friend's like, I've never met a pastor who does more weddings than you. I love doing weddings. And I, th I don't know what, if I love, what I love more, doing weddings or doing the premarital counseling I love meeting with couples. I love breathing life and encouraging couples. And I always get a panic phone call or message. It says, Pastor Dave, you're invited to the wedding. I'm like, thank you. I, I'm doing the wedding. I know, but we didn't send you an RSVP yet. And so that, that's always the last minute panic. Sometimes it's the week of the wedding. Um, Pastor, do you know you can stay for the whole thing? I'm like, oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. That, that's fine. Um, but we send out RSVPs. To, why? Because we want to invite people in. We want to know who's in, who's not in, what we, can we prepare for um, after helping to plan one wedding. Goodness gracious. Uh, I know why parents... Parents should have vacations. I think part of saving up for weddings should be saving up for a vacation after the wedding is done. That is necessary. Goodness gracious. Um, but I want to talk about invitations this series. And every week is going to be a different invitation from Colossians to us, the church. And we're going to look at Paul's writing and we're going to understand some things that Paul was trying to get at when it came to ministering to the church in Colossia. Now, Paul did not plant the church. I've heard some people say, well, Paul planted the church, uh, the Colossian church, and actually he didn't. Was he responsible for it? I would say indirectly. We know that because of the book of Acts. I believe it's in chapter uh, 19. You can read about the discipleship school that Paul developed. And out of that, a young man named Epaphras, if you're looking for a baby name, there's a great baby name, Epaphras, 
um, went out and planted this church. And so Epaphras comes to visit Paul in prison to check in with him to see how he's doing. And he wants to update Paul on the pressures that his church is going through. The two main pressures of this church were this. The Jewish traditions and pagan mysticism. Those were the two big pressures. The pressures that these, these Christians had. Do we go back and do all of the things that, that we've seen in, in Judaism? Do we do all of the festivals? Do we do all the sacrifices? Do we do all of the, the ceremonial commands? Do we do all of these things because we're hearing from our Jewish brothers and sisters, we have to do these things. And so you've got Gentiles asking, what do we do? Do we do this? Do we do that? That's not our tradition. And so they're asking questions. And on top of that, a lot of and mysticism was getting into the church and so they were doing numbers of things like I serve Jesus but I still do these type of things. In the modern age it's like I love Jesus but I'm still doing Ouija boards. That was a big deal back in the 80s. Or I love Jesus and I'm still doing, dealing with uh, astrology and, and the zodiac stuff. I love Jesus but I'm playing with tarot cards. I love Jesus and I am cheering for the cowboys. I'm doing things that nobody should be doing with my life by mixing Jesus and mixing ungodly stuff. And so this is what brings us, I had to say that today, this brings us to Colossians for which Paul begins to start off this book in this beautiful invitation to the good news. The Colossians, they are doing well, but these pressures coming at them from both sides we want you to do things, follow Jesus, but do it the way that our tradition wants you to do it. And on the other side, you can have Jesus, but you also have to mix in these other gods, mix in these other things, mix in these other duties, these other issues, these other beliefs. Because, well, they're just all the same. And so Paul wants to write to that pressure point and write to that chaos. And he starts off in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 with an invitation to the good news. So let's look at this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father for our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Let me hit a pause button right there. Because what I love is Paul immediately starts off with encouragement to the people. He starts off encouraging them about what is going on in their life. Listen, if you're ever going to give somebody criticism, this has always been my rule with the staff, is for every one criticism, you should give three encouragements. Nobody amen that. Apparently, you're like, no, no, we just like being critical. But Paul, before he even deals with anything, I love that Paul comes in and sweeps in with encouragement. Look at these three things. He calls them three specific things that you can write down in your scripture journals or write down in your notes. Number one, he calls them saints. My dad used to say, there are saints and there are ain'ts. There's a Hellbaringer line right there. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of time I feel more like an ain't than I do like a saint. And because often we will take the word saint and we attach it to somebody based upon what they have done. They are a saint because of their accomplishment. But, but Paul writes to this church that's going through some pressures, going through some struggles. And he calls them saints because you're not a saint because of what you have accomplished. You're a saint because of what Jesus has accomplished through you. And accomplish in you. And so he calls them saints. He not just calls them saints. He, he talks about, he uses the word brothers. He talks about family. Your family. This is a community 
of brothers. This is a community of sisters, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You've heard me talk about this before. I, I grew up in Detroit, but I went to Bible college in the south, and the beauty about Bible college is everybody is brothers and sisters in church. You don't have to memorize names. It's awesome. It's, hey, brother, hey, sister, you see somebody in the store that, you know, you've seen them in church, and you're like, hey, brother, and you don't have to memorize names whatsoever. That happened the other day. I uh, walked by and Meyer, and this guy looks at me and goes, and just gave me this nod. I'm like, and I kind of walked away. I'm like, I don't know who he is. And, and so I told Ann, I'm like, she's like, just don't go back if you don't know. I'm like, no, I have to go back. I need the awkward moment. And uh, he actually attends Pastor Juan's congregation at 2 o'clock with our Hispanic church. I'm glad I went back. I felt terrible. I didn't remember any names at all. Um, but the brotherhood, the, the sisterhood, the family connection that we have. He says, listen, you're together and you're family. And not just calls them family, calls them faithful. Why does he call them faithful? Because he wants them to understand you're doing well. Don't let the pressures overcome you. He calls them these three beautiful things. You're saints. You're saint because of what Jesus has done in your life. You're family. You have a closeness connectiveness there and you also you're faithful don't stop being faithful don't bend to the pressure at hand don't bend to what is forcing you to stay where you are at be faithful and then he begins to just lay it out we always thank God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you I'm going to stop there at verse 3 because Paul is wanting to make sure that in the middle of the pressure that they focus on Jesus he wants them to value Jesus. And what I love about Paul's writing, just in the, in the next 24 verses, we're not going to read them all, in the next 24 verses, he refers to Jesus seven times, directly or indirectly. Why? Because he wants them to not lose the value they have in Jesus. Look here. Uh, cha chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of God. Verse 16. He's the creator. Verse 17. The pre-existing sustainer of things. Verse 18. He is the head of the church. Verse 19 in chapter 2, verse 9. He is the fullness of deity in bodily form. In chapter 1, verse 20 through 22, he reconciles all things to God. Chapter 2, verse 10, in Christ you have been brought into the fullness. In other words, don't stop being faithful because you have not maxed out on Jesus yet. You've not maxed out on Jesus yet. In fact, I'm just going to tell you this morning, you will never max out on Jesus. When you think you know enough about Jesus, when you think you've learned enough about Jesus, you've heard enough about Jesus, I'm here to say that you can live a lifetime and still not scratch the surface of the depths and the power and the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. You can never max out on Jesus. We used to do that like a couple times a year with football. We would, call, we would talk about maxing out. What's the maximum weight that you can bench? The maximum weight that you can squat. What's the maximum that you, uh, the, the fastest that you can run in your 40? And I remember the times of just maxing out, what is the most that I can take? But the beauty is, is we will never, ever get, the, get maxed out on Jesus. And so immediately, Paul is talking to this church, don't max out. Don't think you've got enough. Keep diving in. This is Paul's invitation, his RSVP. And then we get to verse, let's go to verse 3 again. For it says, we always thank God. Now we're going to pause there because there's something after the word God. You know what that is? It's called a comma, which a comma is what we call punctuation. This is our English translation. But what I'm going to read to you from verse 3 to verse 8, there are no punctuation in the Greek. In fact, it is one 
long run-on sentence. So Paul, what we've got in our translation, we, we, help, we help ourselves out by throwing some punctuation in. Paul has this long sentence. So it says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you and indeed is the whole world is indeed in the whole world and is bearing fruit growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Look back at verse 5 because that's the key word that I want to dive into today. He talks about, what's the key word? It talks about the gospel. Of this you have heard the word of truth, the gospel. We're going to sit on the gospel this morning. What does the word gospel mean? Anybody know what it means? It's good news. Somebody gets the Pop-Tart over there. You get the good news. That is the simple thing. Every once in a while, somebody say, Pastor Dave, I keep hearing the, this word, gospel. What does it mean? The most simple way to define it is, it is good news. And so the question that I ask this morning is, is it good news to you? Is the gospel good news to you? And for some reason, I think that we as Christians forget how good the good news is. We forget how good God's grace is. We forget how much Jesus has sacrificed for us, how much he loves us, how much he adores us, and his power is that con that's constantly at work through us. We forget that there is such good news happening in our lives, and we show up to church, and we look grouchy because we didn't have our coffee this morning, and we still haven't put the coffee bar back since COVID. And Pastor Dave, it would be better news if we had more coffee. But honestly, here it's, it's actually easier to celebrate the good news, but the good news is not just good news on Sundays, but when people are see our lives and when they see us every single day. Listen, we all have bad days, we have off days, we have bad hair days, we all have those moments. But the question is, is if we have embraced the good news, if the good news has impacted our life, there should be something good coming out of our life for which people can look and say, I want to know that Jesus, because by looking at their life, something good has happened. What has happened? It's the good news. It's the good news. We need to get back to the gospel, the good news. Why? Romans 1, chapter 16, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Look at that. It is the power of God, the gospel. Paul writes, he's like, listen, there's an invitation that you can't ignore. Don't stop going back to the gospel. The gospel is that God has saved us from our sins, not from our trials. I want you to understand that. Some of us, we think that God is just helping us to get out of the trials of life. Listen, a lot of things can help us through the trials of life. But there is a trial that every single one of us deals with called sin. And we needed somebody to save us, not from a moment, not from a situation, and not even from a season of life. But we needed someone to come in and to save us from something that we could not save ourselves out of. And Jesus came in, and the gospel tells us that he saved us, not from our moments, but from our sin. It is time to be a church that gets back to the basics of the gospel. There is a coach, a legendary coach named Vince Lombardi who coached a team for which I will not name their name. 
he had just, him and the Packers, I just said it, dang it. They just lost the NFL championship, which we're all excited about. And when their camp started up the following summer, it says that all of the players showed up to the, the new camp. We're going to sit with the coach. And we're going to build off of the championship run that we thought we had. All we got to do is improve a little bit, and we're going to win a championship. And he got his team together, and he gave them all brand new playbooks. And he said, start at page one. Then he holds out a ball and says, gentlemen, this is a football. And they're all staring at him. And what he began to do is he took them back to the basics, taught them how to tackle like you're supposed to, how to catch a ball, how to run, the proper form when running. And he took these athletes, these superb athletes, and he went back to the basics, and in five of the next seven seasons, he won championships. I want you to understand, we cannot afford to move away from the thing that transformed our lives. And sometimes we've made church about a lot of things. We've made church about sound, and we've made church about light, and we made church about what we wear and what we don't wear. We make church about times of the day. We make church about convenience. We make church about multimedia. We make church about social media. We make church about the pastor. We make church about abilities. And you know what? We've got to learn that that stuff is so secondary next to who Jesus is. We've got to get back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel we got to get back to the gospel. This is what it's about. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says, the Christian story is a story that explains and it's a message that transforms. Why do we get into the gospel? Because it explains us. It explains God. And I promise you, if you embrace the gospel, it is a story that will transform. Because some people just don't. I don't think some people realize what the gospel of Jesus truly does. There's some of you that have shown up to church and you think the gospel is all about showing up and let, listen to Pastor Dave shout and watching him sweat and then we walk away and we're all good for the week. Some of you have never maxed out on what the gospel can do in your life. This was, uh, I think, our third or fourth year here. You've got to understand, uh, we spent seven years in Midland, Michigan. In Midland, like when we got a Logan Steakhouse, you would have thought it was a Ruth Chris going in. Because I'm like, oh, a real restaurant. Uh, we, we get excited when chain restaurants will show up. But when we moved here, we had something here that we never had before. Uh, we had the Dirty Bird, or some people call it Red Robin. All right? So we went to Red Robin a number of times and enjoyed burgers, enjoyed the fries. And it was about year three or four that we were meeting up with a former intern and his wife. And they were youth pastoring down in Three Rivers and we were just having a conversation. And we just got fries delivered to the table. And we're just eating fries, talking, waiting for our burgers to show up. And the fries were all gone. And the waitress walks by. And Nate says, hey, could we have our fries refilled? I'm like, Nate, look at you ordering more fries. He goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, you're going to buy us another round of fries? He goes, I'm not buying another round of fries. The fries are refilled for free. For three years of going to Red Robin, I not once knew that you can refill fries for free. When I go to Red Robin, I don't care if I'm hungry anymore. I order more fries. And my, I'm like, I have been accessing the Dirty Bird three years, and I've walked away like the fries, the fries are good, the campfire sauce, 
Jesus is in that sauce. But I remember for three years, I, I didn't max out what was available to everybody. Can I just say, if you think Jesus is just about going to church and getting your ticket to heaven, you're not maxing him out. You're forgetting about what he wants to do in your life, what he wants to do through your life, what he wants to work in you, what he wants to do in your marriage, what he wants to do in your parenting, how he wants to work in your business, how he wants to lead you and to guide you and to let you be missional to the world around you. It's time for us to maximize the gospel of Jesus in us. Stop playing with Jesus at surface level. Let the gospel get down. Paul's invitation is get into the gospel. This is a part of you, Colossia. Don't let the pressures push you one way or the other. Stick to the gospel. And so I want to read you a story. When people ask me about a story that is the epitome of the gospel, I take them to the same spot, and it's in Luke chapter 24. It is one of my favorite stories in all of the gospels. It is after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus approaches two men that are walking away from Jerusalem. They are walking away from the center of spiritual life. They are broken. They, their Savior has been crucified, and they did know about him living. This is such a powerful story. And so, story time with Pastor Dave here. Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two men were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all the things that have happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And they said to him, what is, and he said, what is this conversation that you have with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas, if you need a baby name right there, Cleopas is a good one, answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus says, what things? I love it. He's He's so drama, and I'm so drama. I'm loving this. And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things, these things happened. Moreover, some of women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body, and came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And Jesus said to them, Foolish ones, slow of heart, to believe all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the scriptures concerning himself. So they drew near to the village and where they were going, and he acted as if he was going further, but they urged them strongly, saying, stay with us. That word urge in the Greek means that they, they basically physically assaulted Jesus and like, you will do a slumber party with us. You're staying. I'm going to break out some hummus and just going to chill and talk here. He says, stay with us. For it is toward the evening and the day is spent. So he went in to stay with them. And he was at the table and he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said, did our hearts not burn within us when he talked with us on the road while he opened the scriptures up to us? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven who were gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. This I think is the simplicity of the gospel. 
Why is this the gospel? And why do I see the gospel? Because if you're reading, these two men, Cleopas and this unnamed individual, these are not the upper echelon leaders of the day or the Christian leaders. We don't know much about these two individuals. In fact, we don't know much about Cleopas and nothing about the unnamed person. All we know is, is they were walking away from Jerusalem with broken hearts. And it says this, specifically in the ESV, Jesus drew near to them. Where does the gospel start? The gospel doesn't start with you drawing near to God. The gospel doesn't start with you finding God. Do you remember that old song back in the church days, I just found Jesus? Some of you struggle finding your keys this morning. Some of you struggle finding things in your home. Understand this, we couldn't find God. We needed God to find us. And Jesus drew near. The scripture says that we don't come to Christ unless the spirit draws us near. He draws near to us. God is the divine initiator. God makes the first move. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Jesus made the first move. God loved us so much that he didn't make your a political stance the first move. Citizenship of whatever country, the sex or gender of your life, the, the status of your life. He didn't look for anything to be the thing that initiates anything. God, the Father loved us so much that he sent his son for us. He is the divine initiator. He made the first move. That's how the gospel begins. And that's how it works. It's Jesus makes a move toward us, which leads us to this. The gospel is this. As Jesus doesn't just move toward us, he confronts us in our brokenness. He actually calls them out. What's going on in your heart? He looks at those two men on the road. What's happening? Why are you downcast? Why are you broken? Why are you shedding tears? Why are you showing doubt? He actually confronts them with their condition. See, the gospel is not just God initiating toward us, but the gospel confronts us with our condition. Now, I know that's not popular nowadays with what's called progressive Christianity. I will be honest, I have a massive struggle with progressive Christianity. Because it's a Christianity that adapts to us as opposed to us adapting to the gospel. Too often, we want the gospel to take shape to what we want it to be instead of us taking shape to what the gospel tells us to be. Better yet, we'll say it this way. We don't want to follow Jesus. We want Jesus to follow us. But the, boss, the gospel is not there to complement our lives, to just be in addition to our lives. It's there to confront our lives and to challenge us in our thinking. The challenge us in our emotions, the challenge us in our hurt, the challenge us in our hatred, the challenge us on every single level, and to call us to be like God. The gospel confronts us in our brokenness, and not just confronts us, but I love this the gospel points toward Jesus and not toward us. Jesus opened up the scriptures. And he began to talk with them about the scriptures and he wanted them to make sure that he wasn't going to point them just toward back toward Jerusalem because the answer wasn't Jerusalem. He wasn't pointing them back toward the, the religious leaders because they weren't the answer. Jesus began to utilize the scriptures not to point toward churches or denominations or personalities but back to himself. Jesus is the center of the gospel. Which leads me to number four. The gospel is not just there to confront us. And it's not just there to be with Jesus at the center. But the gospel is for everyone. How do I know that? Because we, we said it looking at Luke chapter 24. These two people, now 
these people are low-level, C-level, D-level people, it seems like, in the kingdom of God. If we're going to rate people, like, okay, Peter, John, the apostles are probably A-level. Uh, when I think about the people that we, that we kind of highlight, these are the people that birthed the church, they led the church, they did, they did this, they did that. So, but when you think about Cleopas and this unknown person, Jesus has limited time during this resurrection moment before he ascends to heaven. And in my brain, Jesus, you should be paying attention to the A-level and the B-level people. They're going to be the movers and the shakers. But what I see here is Jesus did not come for the religious elite. He didn't come to play favorites. When I see Luke chapter 24, you know who I am? I'm the unnamed guy. At best, I might be Cleopas. This is us. The resurrected Jesus was not just for the elite, not just for the tithers, not just for the church members. He's for everyone. Anybody who would call out that he will walk up. I mean, he could have just skipped these two. It's just those two. But they weren't just those two walking away from Jerusalem. They were people that mattered. I'm so glad that whenever I've tried to walk away that God is still running after me. Because the gospel is for everyone. And it's not just for everyone. The gospel transforms us. The gospel transforms us. It's not there to just bedazzle our life and just to add one more thing. The gospel is there to transform our lives from the inside out. I wrote it this way. The gospel doesn't say behave and get saved. It says believe and receive. The idea is this, is that we don't try to behave in order to get saved. We believe and then we begin to receive the transformation that God is doing in our life. That's the beauty of when the gospel gets a hold of you. Because all of a sudden when God gets a hold of your life, when the gospel just begins to saturate you, you begin to change from the inside out. You start beginning to receive things. You, start begin, you begin to walk in a strength that you've never had and a love for people that you never thought you could muster. You begin to show forgiveness in ways that you never thought you would ever forgive anybody. Why? Because the gospel transforms from the inside out. In fact, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul would write it this way. What the gospel gives you is called imputed righteousness. And what and the word imputed means, it puts into your account something to draw from. I remember uh, 12 years ago, I did an illustration about that. I wrote, I got my checkbook out, and I wrote a check for $1 million, and I handed it to a student in our, in our church. And I just said, I'll be honest, if you go to cash that, they're just going to laugh at you. Because I don't have in my account enough to cover the check. You see, the transformation that the gospel wants to give you is not something you have to do on your own. And so I've had people say, I, I, I don't think I can change. You yourself don't have to change by yourself because when God gets in your life, he begins to impute in you. He begins to put into your account. You don't think you can change. God will begin to give you the, the bank account balance to kind of draw from, the strength to draw from, the peace to draw from, the joy to draw from. You begin to draw from that which he imputes in your life, the transformation work of the gospel. And you don't have to wait for it. It comes at you now. The scripture doesn't say, for all who call upon the name of the Lord, God will get back with you. I'll catch you on the flip side. Now, for all who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Did you know that the speed of light travels at 168,000 miles an hour? Excuse me, per second. Excuse me. 
miles per second. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And to show you how far away the sun is from us, if the sun ceased to exist, it just, it burnt out. We wouldn't know for eight minutes. Because that's how far the sun is traveling at 186,000 uh, miles per second. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's the second you put your trust in Jesus, you don't have to wait eight minutes. You don't have to wait eight hours. You don't even have to wait eight seconds. The speed of the gospel impacting your life is faster than anything that we've ever seen on this earth. Because when you say yes to Jesus, life has changed. Your feet are on a new path. And that leads me toward number six. I need, and then I need the band up here, so I'll shut up here. Number six, the gospel continues. The gospel continues. How, do, how does it continue? It continues to transform. We begin to live, live missionally. These two men, they encounter Jesus, and all of a sudden, did our hearts not burn when he was with us? And from there, they didn't just decide to go have just, this, you know, just let's go enjoy some more hummus and just talk about what just happened. They had to go tell somebody about it. And then to go find the people that need the most encouragement. Who needs this message the most? They went out. And what we've got is they go back to Jerusalem, the apostles, the disciples. The, the, the beginning workings of what we would know as the Acts church began to get encouraged. And what we know is days later, Jesus would take them out and would ascend to heaven. And from there, a movement would go out like we've never seen in this world. It's the birth of the church. There was a conversation that I, I got to listen to. Sometimes it's fun to be the talker. Most of the time, I think I just enjoy being a listener. And to be in the presence of individuals, it's one of my favorite things about going to ministers' conferences is I love talking with older ministers. I just, I love drawing from and listening to people's stories, especially from those in the boomer generation and the greatest generation, and we're losing our greatest generation right now. Take advantage of hearing stories. There was a conversation with a gentleman, he's in his 70s, excuse me, his 80s, and talked about the changes that this world has undergone. He said, you should have been here after World War II. Following World War II, things got wild. The civil rights movement came along and called America to change. And it's not about people being arrested when it comes to racial tension. People were being killed. It was the leader of the civil rights movement that were being killed from Martin Luther King Jr. to Malcolm X. It seemed that leader after leader was being killed. Politics, you think Trump was controversial? When JFK was voted in, it was controversial. So controversial, he was ex executed by a shooter. His brother Bobby was executed. Watergate happened. National terrorism was taking place. And you can't comprehend the political drama of our time. There was the Vietnam War that led to the Cold War. We had the draft and there were campus riots. You can't understand how the season affected young people at the university level. And then a the man said this. We have, we have so much technology now, but you know what? We put a man on the moon. Nobody believed that that was possible. It was the rise of mass media and information. We had disruptions with technology. And do you think the sexual moment of today is confusing? Imagine coming out of the 1950s and the sexuality of the 50s stepping into the summer of love. 
the pill was introduced, sex without consequences began to be extremely popular. There was so much taking place in our world that people did not know what to do. You had hippies and counterculture, stances against government and war. Imagine being a World War II vet looking around society wondering where this was all going to land. Do you know what happened in the middle of the chaos of the 60s and the 70s? It's called the Jesus Movement. The Jesus move, mo, mo, a Movement rose. The power of God came upon people and began to transform the American church. In the middle of chaos, God showed up. What culture offered, the hippies found inadequate. I've got a really good friend of mine who's a former hippie. He's like, everything that we rejected was just culture. Nothing was adequate. But what was? The power of God. They discovered Jesus and the kingdom, and they took it seriously. And the American church was transformed late 60s, early 70s, as the Jesus movement just began to spread across our nation from California all the way to the East Coast. And so when people ask me, what is my take on this day? What is my take on this time that feels like Colossia? And a time where people are telling us, this is how we want you to worship. Or we got pagan mysticism coming in saying, listen, you can worship who you want. I'm here to say that this is a time that I don't hang my head. I don't look at 2022 and lower my head saying, what is going to come of this world? I look and say, we are ripe for a new Jesus movement. We are ripe for a fresh move of God. We are ripe for the gospel to come in and change us from the inside out. Well, pastor, you seem awful, awful idealistic. Listen, when things are darkest, God's light shines brightest. It shines brightest. Man, it's about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. And it's learning just to walk in step with him, trusting in him and letting him lead us and transform us. And when that, that transformation happens, it changes everybody. It just changes everybody. Jonathan, can I pick on you for a second, bud? I'm going to make you really uncomfortable, if that's okay. Please don't leave the church. Could you come up here? Just, just, just come and stand. I, I owe you Red Robin. Have you ever played, did you play cards? It's okay to admit in church. Growing up in church, we weren't allowed to admit that, by the way. Because, you know, cards leads toward gambling, gambling leads toward sex, sex leads toward murder. I, I, I don't know what our rules were. Have you ever played 52 pickup? What? 52 pickup, we do it to kids. Hey kids, have you ever played 52 pickup? Now you gotta pick it up. So Jonathan, I need you to pick it up. The problem is this. Yeah, go ahead. Now this is the problem. It's this is what we think the gospel is. We've got a mess and you've got to pick it up. This is the gospel. Here. You don't have to do this by yourself. This is me and you. I'll help you out. I'll help you do what maybe you think you couldn't do. And I'll help you do what maybe you didn't think made sense. But this is the gospel, Jonathan. That whatever mess that we've encountered, whatever mess we're facing, that we've got somebody that doesn't stand over us, ordering us what to do. 
but gets in the dirt with us, that loves us, that's willing to put things back together to help us reorganize and to help us walk our, our road from here. Thank you, dude. This is the gospel. And we've got the Holy Spirit that follows behind picking up the other cards that we missed. The message of the gospel is not try. Try to pick it up. Try to put it back together. The message of the gospel is this. It's trust. It's trust. Is your life a mess? Welcome to the club. We have t-shirts. Is your past a mess? Welcome to the club. We've got plenty of sweatshirts for that. But ladies and gentlemen, we're starting off this series in the most basic way. This is the gospel. This is what marked the Corinthian church. And Paul was inviting them back to not forget what has transformed them, what they were centered around, and not to bow to the pressures around them. It's time to get back to the gospel. Would you bow with me? Bow your heads with me. And maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Christ. I'm not actually asking you to commit to this church. I'm not asking you to commit to the assemblies of God. I'm asking what will you do with the gospel? And with heads bowed and eyes closed, which just let's give people privacy in the house today. If you're here and you're recognizing that maybe you have wandered away from God. Maybe you've walked away from your relationship with Jesus. Or maybe today you have never had a relationship with Jesus ever. But you're recognizing that today you can't walk away the same way that you've walked in. You're recognizing today is a day for you to come home to the Lord. A day for you to step into a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, I want you to know, number one, I am proud of you. And number two, I will stand with you in your journey with Jesus. But if you're here and you need to make a, a decision to follow Jesus with your life, you need to make a commitment to Christ, you're ready to respond to the gospel, the gospel that says that Jesus, that the Father loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here today and you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, would you just lift up your hand saying, Pastor Dave, that's me. I need to respond to the gospel today. I just wanna look around and just give a few seconds. Nobody looking, nobody's messing around, just between you and the Lord. Thank you over here to my left, that's awesome. You, you are worth everything. You're worth everything this morning. Anybody else? For that one that lifted their hand and maybe those watching online, I'm gonna ask that you would just simply pray. Pastor, what do I say? It's this, it's this simple. Today, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my everything. I put my faith in you. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Fill me. And help me. I know you died on the cross for my sin. And you rose again to give me new life. So Lord, my life is yours. My heart is yours. Guide me and lead me in Jesus' name. Amen.
Could we stand together? I've asked the worship team to lead us into a song that we haven't done in quite a while. The song is simply called I Believe. And this morning what we're going to do is we're just going to confess our trust in the Lord today. And I would invite you just uh, if you want to lift your hands, you can lift your hands in worship. If you don't, that's fine. If you want to close your eyes, if you want to get out of your seat, today we're just going to confess our trust in the Lord believing that God is going to do something so magnificent that the gospel is going to explode in our lives, ready to see fruit and life being born from it. Worship team, would you lead us today?